So the schedule for Liberty JS is finally up. That's in two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's so soon, but the schedule is pretty awesome. It's a lot more than what we did last year. Mm, two p.m. It's a barbecue, so you can come. You know, not two p.m. Come at five. But also, like, a, you know, you would still get to go to workshops, and that's really like some of the awesome stuff. What kind of workshops are there? We've got. I mean, we've got the I'm full looking spread. at it. I we've can got read it. Polymer, Angular, React, and Ember. That's like covering everything. Yep. Not backbone. Not background. But Backbone's dead. No, everyone just already knows it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have any backbone. Unless, well, there might be backbone inside some of the other talks. They just aren't necessarily backbone talks. Were you part of accepting the talks? Like, the committee? No, I was not. I okay. specifically wanted to delegate that out, and I think they did an awesome job. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to know more about one of the talks. Mm, you can see that under the... Well, right now it's the speaker's navigation, but hopefully uh-huh. soon I'll change it to the sessions because um, we have the full descriptions of all these. But, yeah, I want to update the page so it's prettier and easier to see what all these topics are because the descriptions are all good, too. I was reading about Ember this weekend. And one thing I found interesting was the idea that, um, so in Rails, like you have a route that points to a controller and that controller does everything like from scratch, whatever you want to do in your, in your route or your view, like you start from nothing and go get models and put them, put them in the, in the controller and pass them down to the view. Uh, but I found it interesting that in Ember, the routes are nested when your, I guess, controllers are nested. Like I I didn't play with any code, but it seemed like, uh, if you had a, I don't know, project and then a task and your your route was like project slash one, task slash task slash one, that you'd have a controller that like loaded the project and then a separate controller or a separate route that loaded the task. And then in the task context, you, you could just assume that the project was already there. Does somebody know more about that? Want to say if I'm right or not? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it makes sense from a JavaScript standpoint. Like I mm-hmm. can see why you would make the decision because you would want... You essentially have kind of cascading scope. Yeah. Like, and that makes a lot of sense to me in JavaScript, because going and like creating new things is generally what you want to avoid. So, like, when you're talking about in Rails, when you're just like, oh, you go and get whatever models you need, whatever. Like, but in JavaScript, especially single-page applications, you're literally creating the same instance of an, like the same thing on the same page when you have the same memory. <laughs> so. It just seems pretty silly to create a new thing rather than figuring out a way to elegantly give you access to the thing that you already created. Did I? Did that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And managing that state is a pain in the ass in JavaScript. So yeah. So, so it's one of those things, yeah, using the framework helps you out. Yeah. So if you're in like, you know, a blog slash or post slash one uh, slash comment slash three, you'll still need to both load post slash one and probably render post slash one. And if on- your only controller that managed that was the comments controller, there'd have to be all kind of gross conditionals in order to figure out, you know, are we already displaying this? And if we are, you know, don't do anything. If we're not, then, oh, we need to fetch this stuff and render it. And it gets really gross really fast. So we actually built on my last project, uh, a router for Backbone that managed all kind of that stuff. So I was reading this on uh, there's a website called From Rails to Ember.com, and I heard about it on the Ruby on Rails podcast on Five by Five. But it's essentially just a collection of tips for like how to embrace the Ember way. 
But that kind of routing is also usually gross on server side too. So I know in Rails, if you're on like posts slash, you know, three slash comments, there'll generally be in that whole comments controller uh, a before filter that does all kind of gross magical stuff because you need to load, you know, the post in every single controller action. So I was listening to, sorry, I got distracted by your comments. Um, I was listening to Ruby Rogues this week and they talked about a new framework called Rhoda. Rhoda? Yeah. Oh, is that the one with the tree routing? Yeah. So it's mostly, it's like a more pluggable architecture for building web applications and uh, it's a routing tree framework toolkit. So that would do the same type of thing. So it would do the same action, you know, in, in every uh, post controller. It would load the posts. I like their artistic tree art on their page. Very pretty. <laughs> and their typography. Yeah, so this sounds almost exactly like how it seemed like it was going to be an ember as well. Like a nested routes already have the objects available in their scope that are uh, above them. Yeah, although in, in JavaScript it is a little worse because you don't want to re-render everything all the time as opposed to the server where you will re-render everything all the time. Right. I've also been reading an Ember.js, I'm not, sorry, an Elixir book, <laughs> not Ember.js book. Uh, so I think I want to try my next project in Elixir and try to like actually immerse myself in that language for a little bit. Uh, but a lot of people I've, I've heard of like doing, instead of... In Rails, we like start with Rails and we put the view in Rails as well. Um, some people are starting to use like Rails API and then Ember, but uh, it seems much more common to, to use Elixir plus Ember. So I was going to maybe try that for my next project. Did you see any examples of using uh, you know Ember uh, generators in Elixir? Ember generators? I don't know. If, I don't know what those are. Or the the Ember CLI project. Oh, okay. No, I haven't. I. I Assume that you're supposed to continue using Ember CLI, or or does it have like a pluggable like backend kind of thing? Uh, so the you know the the rails of Elixir Phoenix ships with a lot of good stuff. Um, it ships with Brunch for a package manager, uh, and it automatically comes with Live Reload. A lot of stuff that Rails does not come with. Um, so that's nice. But I just it also uh, ships with ES6. Elixir does and Brunch. Uh, well, I mean, Phoenix does. Oh, okay. So you, you generate a new Phoenix project and all of your JavaScript and, and CSS live reloads, and you can start writing ES6. I'm glad that's a thing. ES6 is much more pleasant to write. I mean, it's still like, it's still JavaScript, but it's better. But no, I haven't, I haven't actually tried any of this yet, so I don't, I don't know what the ecosystem's like. Oh man, there's Bower and Broccoli and... Stop saying ridiculous words. Just <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, the actually the the canonical I found my canonical table flip list of JavaScript build systems, and it's on the Babel uh, setup page. Oh no, they updated it to be less horrifying. It used to just be vertically like listing every single build system. They have two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve <laughs> build systems listed, um, and including Make. So you can be happy, Justin. Yes. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, so it used to be vertically and it was like, it, I saw this page and I was like, I should quit. I should just quit doing JavaScript. <laughs> so this is ridiculous. I agree. You should. <laughs> oh, did I, uh, did I tell you all that I'm going to speak at Nebraska JS? No. When's that? So, uh, August 7th in Omaha and I've never been to Omaha. And so um, that's why I wanted to go. 
Are you going to speak somewhere else too? At Strange Loop, yeah, we didn't talk about that. Thanks. I mean, right? That was that was that was what you were leading to, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's actually the the same talk at both of them. It's just going to be very different audiences. So I'm, you know, pretty confident that I'm not going to, you know, people won't be bored. And also, the Strange Loop will be a little less JavaScript centric, uh, and Nebraska will be completely JavaScript centric. But uh, they they just started gradually announcing speakers for Nebraska. Uh, well, they notified all of us, but then they they've been like announcing each day. Uh, oh, it's a I, conference in Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, nice. a conference in Nebraska, and so it's at the at the zoo, which I don't know. That should be an interesting venue. The Henry Dorley Zoo. The are you on the website or did you actually know that? <clears throat> I searched for Omaha, so I wasn't sure where Omaha was. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then I was on the Wikipedia page, and one of the items is Henry Dorley Zoo. And it's a really cool uh, geodesic dome. Oh, well, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Desert dome. It looks like a biodome almost. Maybe it is a biodome since it's a zoo. So the reason I'm like... I wouldn't call it a biodome because it has life in it. Well, it has desert life. Mm. They call it the desert dome. Mm. Uh, it is a geodesic dome. Oh, it's the largest geodesic dome in the world, 13 stories tall. That doesn't seem that big. It's also the world's largest indoor desert. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm on this uh, Wikipedia page because I was like, what kind of food does Omaha have? There's, there is a really, like, there's a vegan restaurant there that I want to yeah. go to. <laughs> is that what you found? Um, I haven't found anything yet. But this... Uh, Hamburger pizza, dude. Uh, um, gross. Anyway, uh, this... So a famous vegan chef has her restaurant is in Omaha, not New York. <laughs> so the only way to go is to go to Omaha. The Reuben came from Nebraska. Really? Wait, what? The sandwich? So this website says. I would have to verify that. But... Uh, I don't believe that. Don't listen to New Yorkers. The Reuben was created by a Husker. Yep, you read that right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds. Yeah, that sounds made up. I don't believe it. Also, Warren Buffett lives there. That's where Berkshire... so, there's, so there's just a you know there's just a, another park besides the zoo that's just a pile of money to roll in. I'm <laughs> yeah. looking forward to that, like Scrooge McDuck. Berkshire Hathaway's there. What are we talking about? Elixir. Do you have any idea what you want to build in Elixir? Yeah, I had this project I was trying to build in uh, December when I was on paternity leave, which was. Uh, like a small business could go on and put in like a Twitter or Instagram or Facebook search. And then they'd get like weekly emails saying like, Hey, here's what people are saying about your business. Uh, in December, I tried to explore microservices and polyglot, uh, polyglot, I guess, microservices and uh, communication between them, uh, which was way overkill for one person just working in their free time, trying to play with something. Uh, but I, I learned a lot about like serialization and thrift and all that stuff in that time. So it wasn't a complete waste, but um, but I got to thinking, like, I still want to do a microservices style thing. Uh, and then I had the realization that if you write uh, Elixir or Erlang, uh, there's apps, which are units of code that are started and stopped as one unit. Uh, so I was thinking I could, and they could communicate with each other over message passing. So I was thinking that you could essentially write a microservices kind of style architecture in Elixir, where you have, like, I guess, an app for the API and then an app that does, like, specific things. So I don't know a lot about the ecosystem. Like, how do I do, like, background work and asynchronous stuff? Um, but, yeah, it seems like it would be a good fit. The downside, obviously, compared to what I was trying in December is that you'd be stuck with one language. And you can't really talk in between languages with that. But 
don't know. It seems just something I want to explore and play with. I doubt I'll actually come out with anything production worthy, but I just want to learn. How's your go-langing these days? It's okay. Uh, I haven't done much on. I was working on Terraform, which is a open source. Uh, I should know the company line on this. It's a it's a tool for uh, creating and managing infrastructure. Uh, I wrote some actually like Turing Incomplete. The website is hosted on Amazon S3. So in Terraform, you can say like I want an S3 bucket with these attributes on it, and it will just go make it. And then if you run it again, it's item potent. It will like check and look at the state, and it knows if you change one thing in the Terraform file, it knows exactly what to change on the S3 side, and you can keep your config of your S3 bucket or other things in version control. So it was missing some things that were required to uh, host a website. Like uh, Amazon S3 has website. Uh, like like a website hosting toggle button uh, where you need to essentially give it like a index.html, like tell it where to look for the default document in each directory. Uh, so I added that, and then the other piece that was missing were uh, policies. So now you can also upload a JSON policy from Terraform. Uh, so now it has all the pieces to, you can just, I have an example on my personal website, GitHub. I guess I'll put that in the show notes if you want to play with it. Um, but you, essentially you just like can copy this file to your project change the name from Justin Campbell Diamond to something that you own and then just run Terraform plan and it will say like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to make this bucket. I want to make these DNS entries. And then you can run Terraform apply and it will go make all those things. So that's the last thing I didn't go was working on that provider. But I haven't done much go since. Um, but I'm going to GopherCon in uh, July 7th through 10th. Where is it? Denver. I think it was there last year. I think it was too. Yeah, I really like You're spending uh, a lot of time in Denver. <clears throat> I feel like every year I end up in Colorado like at least twice. Yeah, Denver's cool. Uh, I was just in Boulder. I've been to Breckenridge in Fort Collins. I was at Denver for RubyConf 2012. And I keep ending up in Colorado. Is that a sign? <laughs> you know, even my wife do love like skiing and snowboarding, and she wants to like teach skiing. So I was like, yeah, we should just move to Colorado. We have friends there too. No, I, I like Philly, and I like uh, we have a lot of people here we know. So probably not going anywhere anytime soon. So what sparked your interest in Ember? Mine? Yeah. Uh, just because it seems like the uh, it's becoming the de facto front end framework for doing JavaScript stuff if you're not doing web components. Uh, so I wanted to learn it. Also, we use it uh, at work, so I want to get more familiar with it from a, like a from scratch perspective, not necessarily just like changing in cargo coding code that I found somewhere else in our code base. What have you been up to, Javon? Uh, I spent all weekend doing core async stuff. So core async is uh, CSP for closure. And you're allowed to do What's it. What's CSP? Communicating sequential processes. It's a way to do concurrency. Um, so I've just been brushing up uh, all weekend on that. Um, for fun, so it's pretty cool. Have you used it at all? Have any of you used it? Coresic, no. Or I guess Go routines. I've used Go routines and Go. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, they're fine. They're they're cool. I'm not sure if Coresic is Coresic the same thing. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So I haven't played with the Go one much, but whenever someone gives a Coresic <laughs> talk, they always um, mention Go routines being. It's an implementation of the same paper or the same idea. Um, 
but they do have minor differences. I don't know what they are off the top of my head. So Go has uh, Go routines, which is like a thread of execution that just happens asynchronously. Like you can pass it essentially a block, and it will just go go do that somewhere else. Um, but then you can use that in combination with channels. So um, so a channel is an object, uh, like a I guess like a place in memory. Uh, but you can essentially push messages into it, and they come out the other end. But the really powerful thing is you can switch on those messages. So like a case statement, pattern matching kind of. Um, so if let's say you had a, a go routine that was like go that was going to go get like some external request like an API request from somewhere else and go fetch some data, um, but you also wanted to time out if it failed. So essentially, you could uh, make a channel for the response uh, and then start a go routine that goes and gets gets the data and 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 pushes that data onto the response channel. But then you could also have a a timeout. Uh, go has has really nice abstractions around time uh, and the way that like it works with channels but you can essentially like create a timeout channel that will trigger after five seconds and then after the go routine then you can like switch on both those channels and say whatever happens first then i want to do this so if you get the response before five seconds it will continue the happy path and then if you don't you can do the timeout path can you switch on channels in in core async yeah so they have uh, something called alts and you can alternate um like you could, you can do something where you're like channeling all uh, things to another channel, like merging it, or you can alternate, or you could uh, do the opposite, where you're sending one to many channels based on a predicate. So like, if you have one stream coming in with events and there's an error, you can and you check like a thing that says it's an error, you can send it to an, an error channel. If it's a success, you send it to the success channel. Okay. It's pretty cool for front end usage or like JavaScript usage. Um, one of the examples that I did is um, if you open a modal uh, and you click anywhere else on the page, uh, it just discards all events coming in uh, because it knows that the modal is open. But once you close it, it'll start accepting events again. Would you use uh, ClojureScript on a project if you were not using Clojure on the server side? So I've, I've been thinking about that, and I want to give it a shot first before I, um, before I uh, say yes or no. I think it depends if the project is big enough. Because it seems obvious that you would use ClojureScript if you're using Clojure on the server side. Mm-hmm. So, but I feel weird if I'm using like Rails or Elixir or something on the server side, and then I have like ClojureScript in the front end. I don't know why. It seems kind of. Silly. It is a little weird because you're using a language that's kind of super difficult uh, <laughs> to grok, and uh, and then you're also using your uh, your regular like Elixir or uh, yeah Elixir. Um, but I think it's so powerful that it might be worth it. So I haven't tried it, but I know some people have tried it with Rails, and they've said like the integration isn't as nice or the uh, um, the compile time. Slow, like compiling assets. So, um, I would say on a project that, if you want to use Ohm and a layer on top of Re- uh, React, which is what Ohm is, I would use it. Yeah, I think Ember now has like immutable something. There's a website called Is Ember Fast Yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know? Yeah. Do you know what they're using? Is it, is it the Facebook immutable stuff or? It, it says so close on this website. <laughs> 
they made all the test pass. It's called Glimmer. Um, it's a new rendering engine. It doesn't say if it's using anything underneath. It might be from scratch. I don't know. I know they got uh, inspired by by other... I'm not sure if it's Ohm or Reactor or what, but some other project inspired them to do this. I'm not really sure about Clojure. It seems... Uh... It's very, it's a very nice language, and uh, it's fun to program in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure if people will adopt it as, say, Ruby, or it would be nice if they did. I don't know. It, it seems like it already has large adoption in, I guess, more of an enterprise setting. Yeah, and like where JVM stuff is being used. Yeah, or for, a lot for data. But it would be nice if, you know, uh, oh, I want to build a, a little web app to. Open my door, <laughs> right? Like it would be awesome if people were like, "Oh, let's use Closure for that." Do you think it's because of the weight of the JVM makes it? So there's it? that. There's that also, but I guess, um, yeah, there's that. Let's imagine that was not there. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't. Then it's just Lisp, and you have all the. Yeah, I think it scares the div- off. So I still enjoy it though. But there are other lists that are not. JVM base. Yep. Maybe I should take a look at them. And um, I guess the major difference there is they don't have the same uh, like immutable data structure. Like I think they are immutable, but I think the stuff that Clojure did with the memory of the immutable like, the sharing. Of, yeah, I think that uh, might be unique. They're object oriented lists too. I mean Lisp, so not all of them are immutable. Like some of them mutate state. So you're going to QCon this week? I am, yes. I'm leaving Tuesday night and uh, coming back Friday night. Awesome. Yep. A little nervous, but it comes with the territory, I guess. Yeah, hey, everybody's nervous. You'll be great. Are the talks being recorded? Yeah, so InfoQ is recording the talks. Cool. Uh, I'm speaking on Thursday on Closer Scripts, so <laughs> hence my research on <laughs> all this stuff. Um, but I, I think I would, after the talk, I'm going to try and build a bigger app and see how it feels. Um, maybe try and rebuild something that I've built in the past. Or Pam, I have a question for you. What's that question? I should Google this. I haven't had time. Does uh, Web uh, Components uh, re-render on state change? Or is it just like a component thing? Does what? Does the Web Components, right? If you change something, like state, do they re-render? They don't have data binding, right? I don't know. I mean, they have... Yeah, I would have to look into that. My instinct is to say no, not in the way you're saying. Like, okay. kind of what Justin's saying. Like, there's... When you create a component, as far as I know, at least the core philosophy is that you have an API to access data about it that, you know, you can design. Um, but I guess you can have it emit events, but then, yeah, then it's your job to hook into them. Okay, uh, so the last podcast we had talked about React versus, or we touched on React versus Polymer. Or, uh, yeah, and I still haven't components. made that demo. <laughs> but so I was reading, I've been reading about React, and one of the things it does is automatically re-render on every change. So I, th- I thought that might be a that might be a difference. Oh uh, yeah, a difference to keep well, it, or maybe use it. Yeah. So my my theory that it's completely unverified and untested is that is not just web components replacing React, but web components combined with a reactive programming style. Oh, okay. So what so, would you? So kind of the like 
the alternative to a framework is not a framework, but also that, you know, you could use a new standard to essentially get what you're getting out of that framework if you do your programming style. You were about to ask a question? Oh, so like what would you add to web components that would make it reactive? Just a programming style or oh, a library? No, too? yeah, just a programming style. Okay. Like how you how you interact with your web components. And I'm interested in how we convert from our current or our from imperative styles of programming to reactive styles and stop thinking of things as um, you know, a bunch of objects and listeners and like a really crowded highway and more like like you know, like in Futurama with the tubes of people and there's just directional the people are going all around the city. Sounds like core async. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, like reactive stuff. So reactive is just basically the observer pattern, right? Like you have a from what I've seen. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can do the. I think you can do the observer pattern without doing reactive programming as well. Mm-hmm. But definitely, if you so there's this new spec for yes next year. <laughs> Not ES six year. You all know that. Uh, ES seven? No, yeah. there's no longer that stuff. Twenty sixteen, because ES six is coming out this month, so it's ES twenty fifteen. Um, I mean, man, like, I don't know. Does it matter? Probably not. I don't know. Um, <laughs> let me find the. the spec. I'm feeling a little down on JavaScript today. Am I? Well, you first you're like, you said. yeah, you want to quit JavaScript, and then you're like, oh, ES six doesn't really matter. No, it is. I am really excited about it, but like, it's just that like now, now we have night like, but then all the other really cool stuff is going to come next year. <laughs> What's so, the other cool stuff? Such as ES observables, uh, and async generators. That's the really cool stuff. I searched for ES twenty sixteen and got a Lexus twenty sixteen Lexus ES. Is that a car? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know cars. Um, but yeah. So there's the the observable that. Uh, ugh, look, they even say the observable concept comes from reactive programming. <laughs> um, and then async generators are badass uh, as well. And those are all both proposed for ES7, as I recall. Can you explain async generators? Um, so basically, async generators would fix generators so that they're more useful. Oh, no. Oh, wait. It's actually been withdrawn. Oh, it's been replaced by the observable. Okay, cool. All right, JK. Um, oh, interesting. All right. So, yeah, so the async generator, well, what it was, which means I need to update all my talk stuff, uh, is, so we, we get generators in JavaScript now, but... They because of the you end up doing so much asynchronous programming in JavaScript, not like they're not as useful as they could be. And so async generator is a spec which, even though it's not going to go in, like has been withdrawn. Um, I think it's still interesting to see it. But then the the ECMAScript observable uh, looks like it's it's you know it solves the same problem that async generators would solve uh, without without generators. So it, it adds a new type. So. So there's an observable constructor. I don't know. I miss async generators now. <laughs> IP async generators. I like that idea. Because um, I think they would have helped with the adoption of generators. And I think that their generators are cool. And we don't really, especially in JavaScript, we don't really know what to do with them. Because we haven't had them before. But they can be really cool. Because essentially it's a pull stream. So Yeah, I've seen people implement like a small scale core async in JavaScript using generators. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah, it's yep. Yeah, I'm just scanning the ECMAScript observable, and it's in a, so it data is sent to consumers using the generator interface. So yay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah. So okay. Cool. This is cool now. We get to keep uh, keep generators involved. But yeah. So starring this repo. <laughs> What's yeah, the repo? The ES observable. It looks like it went since when has it existed? It only has 55 commits. So it's been up since May 1st. <laughs> so this is very new to the public. So, but yeah, exciting. So, you and you can definitely do reactive programming in JavaScript. Uh, there's a bunch of libraries for it. Um, but getting types into ECMAScript proper it would be really nice. Types? Like the observable type. Oh, not static. Type. No, no, not like real <laughs> types, Justin. <laughs> Although I think, you know, it's, I'm, I find it interesting. It seems like more uh, Angular people are starting to, to like understand and fear the migration of Angular to TypeScript. Like the next version of Angular is going to be in TypeScript. Really? Oh, that's terrible. As if I had a reason to like Angular any less. <laughs> Could you expand on your point, Len? I don't know. I just I played with like all the major JavaScript MV star frameworks, and Angular impressed me the least. And there just seems Ooh. like they threw all the different you know uh, like enterprise architecture patterns in there, and there's just like this kind of incoherent mess. I don't know. I never liked it. <laughs> Just did. Yo. So you asked me earlier if I would use ClojureScript on a non-Closure project. Uh -huh. would, when would you use Pure, would you use PureScript? You know, when we were talking about JavaScript? that, I was thinking that PureScript has a... It still like seems like very early, but it has a pretty good tool set. And uh, I like the JavaScript it produces. The JavaScript it produces is, is like really readable. I mean, it's, it, <clears throat> it has the kind of like single argument function lambda calculus thing going on. But uh, I, I played with it for like a weekend and it was pretty enjoyable. Um, that said, it would seem weird to like work with a dynamically typed language and then use static typing on the front end. Although the front end is usually a little less predictable. So maybe that's actually a good thing. What is TypeScript? It's Microsoft's version of JavaScript that's typed, right? Yeah, it's a superset of JavaScript. So yeah, add I mean, types. It's like uh, Microsoft rewriting ActionScript, right? <laughs> okay. Any more on that, Len? <laughs> it I seems mean, like like you like you got the you also took a sip of the haterade. <laughs> well, yeah. Len's for Microsoft, so I think he's allowed. So there's like a seed of like I don't know, like a, a backlog of haterade. I mean, of all the uh, languages you could choose to transpile into JavaScript into ES5. Like that's uh, the uh, least interesting problem I'm I'm worried about solving. So, have any of you worked with TypeScript? No, I have but not. Actually. I did meet someone the who raved about it and hated CoffeeScript, but he lived in the .NET world. We should title this this episode uh, "Rambling about JavaScript frameworks we haven't used <laughs> or JavaScript languages." I mean, accurate. <laughs> Len, what's going on with you? How's moving going? Uh, tedious. I've not done much except for you know working on on moving lately. Uh, two and a half more weeks in Philadelphia. Wow. I can't believe how much stuff I'm, I've accumulated. 
Oh, Len, you, you get packages packing? every day. Started packing a little bit and made like a, a big trip to Goodwill. Was there anything that you had to get rid of that you're like, no, I don't want to, but it's too big to take with me or too, it's not worth it. Us. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> now my my dad is going to inherit my cats, so the cats can't come. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring them up this week. It's well, there's so many reasons. There needed to be like five perfect things to align in order to bring two cats and a dog across the country. So the cats would have to like the dog. The dog would have to like the cats. We'd have to be able to find a place that would let you have three pets, which is kind of a red flag that you're crazy. So none of those things happened. Just started raining. How's your squirrel doing? Mm, there are many. There are so many now. It's crazy. And they're huge. See, these squirrels are huge. That's because of rats. <laughs> I just don't know the difference yet. <laughs> you just have a tree full of rats. <laughs> Do they have skinny tails or bushy tails? <laughs> <laughs> they have bushy tails. Okay, it's probably a squirrel. So, one thing I must say is uh, Closure Script makes the front end fun. I, I complain. Um, I usually whine about JavaScript or like writing front end code, but makes it fun and maybe it's because it's still in a new toy phase for me um but i think the concepts that it gives to you is is cool do you use um like parrot or any kind of like parentheses editing stuff when you're typing closure closure script so do you spit and slurp your forms so one thing that i learned this weekend from writing it um is it's hard to explain so i turned off parrot at I think, yeah, because um, it was getting a little annoying um, of trying to help me. Um, but in Emacs, it automatically opens and closes things for you. So maybe it's like a scaled back version of Parrot that I have now. Um, but so if you type parentheses, right? So open and close parentheses, and you type, let's say, say hello, and then you want to type some more, but it's too long, you should hit enter and. Uh, this is super hard to explain, but so sometimes you can really get confused with the parentheses if you don't um, clean them. Yeah, but if you hit, yeah, so there's like a pattern. This is I, I should figure out how to explain this, but it's really interesting. no. It makes it makes sense. Like like there's there's no since since Lisp is balanced with parentheses, like it doesn't really matter. It's not white space important, right? You can put stuff mm-hmm. there, and there's no doesn't care about new lines. So it's up to the developer to maintain that to make it like look readable. Is that what you're trying to say? Could you, could you say that again? Sorry. It's up to the developer to maintain that like looks readable. Yes, yes. Like in uh, Ruby, for example, like you can't put stuff on the same line without using a semicolon and then it just looks ugly. Like it's natural to put stuff on separate lines. And then it's like up to you to actually like put blank lines in between, you know, logical groupings. But overall, like most Ruby code looks similar. Whereas in closure closure script you can just make stuff really condensed. Yes. And you're saying don't do that. <laughs> kind of. But like sometimes I, I see like list or list, any list code on uh, GitHub and it's very like indented properly and um, it's very readable. But sometimes I ended up with like lo- really long lines or something that wasn't readable. Oh, uh, so I guess what I'm saying is like 
if you said like map over this collection and then you want to give it anonymous function, you would have the word map, the collection, and the anonymous function. Mm-hmm. Put the anonymous function in its own line. And then it'll, it'll be like two spaces over. And then you can clearly read like it's a list of like what is going to happen. I'll, I'll do a video later. Yeah. Of my thought process. <laughs> and post it. Because it's really confusing when I say it. Sounds like it doesn't make sense. I think I get it. Okay. Are you guys ready for picks? Sure. Uh, I am going to do two picks. I'm going to do a music pick like Jervon. Uh, I sometimes go to Twitch TV to watch people play video games because I like doing that. Um, but there's also, when you go to a list of games, there's a music section. So I was looking in there a few weeks ago, and I found uh, this DJ... The URL is twitch.tv slash lost underscore in underscore house. Lost in house with underscores. Um, and she plays from uh, London, I think, uh, 12 to 4 every weekday. So it's like, it's it's, it's morning for, for me when I'm working. Uh, and yeah, it's good house. It's good music to code to, essentially. Uh, so I've been, I've been listening almost every day for the past like two weeks. And it's pretty good. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, for coding pick, I don't really have anything. You should buy the book, uh, Programming Elixir by Dave Thomas. When you're done that, you should read Metaprogramming Elixir. So my pick this week in preparing to move, um, it's a great timing because I'm getting rid of cable. And the only reason I have cable, because I'm a TV snob, the only shows I watch are AMC, Showtime, and HBO. Um, So I've had cable just for Showtime and HBO. And now with the Apple TV, I can get both HBO Now and Showtime. So I'm, I'm finally cutting cable and saving a lot of money and paying for just the two channels that I watch and not paying for all the NFL and NBA stuff that I don't watch. Um, so I'm excited to uh, finally cut the cord. Uh, so my picks the Apple TV because sadly uh, both those apps are exclusive to Apple right now. They're Is there a the Showtime on, on demand now? Uh yeah, it's coming out next month, but it's also oh, nice. Apple exclusive. Cool. Uh yeah. Uh program pick is probably so I had a program pick and I, I totally forgot it. So but I think Coriusync is worth picking. Or yeah, Coriusync and CSP. Um and then so check those two things out and get the ideas behind them. You don't necessarily need to use closure or Coriusync. Um but You'll probably change how you think if you learn the pattern. And then my music pick is uh, Major Laser has a new CD. Uh, I forget the name, but I'll post it in the pick section. It's really good. It's very groovy. Those are my picks. So for my pick, I'm going to kind of punt a little bit and just pick the the observable type that I was mentioning earlier because uh, it, is, it is so new uh, and I think it's worth checking out. So I'm going to pick that. Cool. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 53. Follow us on Twitter at turingcool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.